G'day Footyology listeners, Roko here. Enjoy our podcast? Well, you can become an official Footyology podcast supporter simply by using the supporter feature through ACAST. There's no subscription or regular commitment, just the sheer satisfaction that comes with knowing you've kept the debt collectors from our door. No, just kidding. It does help though. If you want to get started, you just need to follow the support this show link in the show description. Thanks again. And now let's get on with it. Welcome to the Footyology Podcast with Rowan Connolly and Robert Shaw. G'day everyone, welcome to the Footyology Podcast. This is the Round 4 Review Edition and my uh, erstwhile colleague, and well people often misuse that word, but in this case it is uh, it is appropriate, Robert Shaw is erstwhile, he is erstwhile on a, uh, a trip, a holiday, a well-earned holiday and in his absence we have the incredibly talented, incredibly capable, occasionally annoying, but still incredibly talented and capable, Mr. Ronnie Werner, who joins us for this review edition. Uh, what'd you make of all the weekend action, Randy? Well, Leahy, thanks for that backhand. That's one of the best backhanded compliments I've ever received in my life. So really, that means a lot to me coming from someone like you. Um, geez, there was some there were some good games. There were some not so good games, um, which is pretty uh, generic, <laughs> but it is the, it is the case. But I mean, you can't go past the AFLW Grand Final. Is a pretty amazing um, achievement by the uh, Adelaide players, and I'm sure we'll uh, talk a bit about that uh, pretty soon. I would suggest. What do you make of it all, Roka? Uh, we will talk about the AFLW Grand Final very shortly. Well, um, I'm not ever one to go the early crow, but it's clear there are some uh, fated teams in a fair bit of trouble. Nonetheless, Port Adelaide, who remain the only winless side in the competition after round four. And um, I think those figures on sides, I think two sides in the last 60 years have come back from 0-4 to make finals. Uh, Sydney 2017 and North Melbourne in 1975, who, uh, just to add the exclamation mark, went on and won the premiership. So, uh, it can be done, but it's pretty rare. So they are in a great deal of trouble. Essendon, of course, uh, broke the ice for their first win of the uh, season this weekend, as did West Coast. And uh, terrific win by the Eagles, which we'll talk about in detail. But, uh, yeah, look, the wheat not yet sorted from the chaff. A few surprises, I think. I think St Kilda's forms perhaps surprising a few people, particularly given an uninspiring first game by them and uh well gold coast for all the uh rubbish they cop over the journey the suns they are 2-2 and just outside the eight so interesting start to the season wouldn't you say very much so very much so i mean the ladder is really taking when you look at the top um it's taking a little bit of a familiar look already with melbourne and brisbane up there but um speaking of the unheralded teams i'm frio three and one you know another one of those teams that sort of Cops a bit of grief with the way the manner in which they play, but they're just chugging along beautifully over there under the radar, and uh, they'd be very happy with uh, the way things are going at the moment. And you'll have to excuse me; it sounds like there's some uh, Grand Prix-related fireworks uh, going on near my residence. I do live quite close to Albert Park, so uh, if you hear that, it's got there, there's no bombs going off, and it's just fireworks. So, all right, wouldn't rest surprise, easy. Wouldn't surprise me if there were bombs going off in your place. <laughs> I'm sure you have lots of enemies. No, we're not live from Ukraine, mate. We're just uh, we're just in Melbourne. All right. Uh, so we've got a lot to get through. Uh, nine games in round four. But let's start with the most important game of the weekend, a grand final. 
And that was the Premiership Decider in the AFLW. Let's do it. On Footyology, wrap around. Well, massive celebrations for Adelaide's AFLW team. Uh, clearly the power side of the competition. Six seasons. We've only had five premierships, of course, one unfortunately abandoned, but the Crows have won three of the five premierships on offer thus far and uh, played in four grand finals. And they did it again, this time over Melbourne. Um, with, with In the circumstances of a low-scoring game, you'd have to say a pretty comfortable win, although the margin wouldn't indicate that. 13 points. The final scores, Adelaide, four goals, 5-29 to Melbourne. 2-4-16. Danielle Ponta kicked two singles to Hewitt and Phillips. Bannon and Kate Hoare for Melbourne. Um, the sole goal kickers there. And Anne Hatchard winning the best on ground medal for the Crows. Well, they did it to them uh, earlier this season and it was a bit of a, a repeat, Ronnie. They kept Melbourne to just 1-1 for the first half really put up the shutters defensively. And uh, poor old Taylor Harris, uh, kept very quiet by Chelsea Randall. Uh, Melbourne really struggled to get into this game. I guess because of the low-scoring nature of it, was still a silly chance even early in the last quarter. But Adelaide uh, steadying and kicking a goal to close things out and uh, take out a deserved third premiership. Yeah, very good summation there. Um and in the first half, the Crows really, it should have been all over at half time. I mean, they were dominating Melbourne. I think Melbourne, it took them until very late in the second quarter to get their first score. And at one stage, it was like, it was 2 5 17 to one behind. I mean, Adelaide just were just peppering the goal face, peppering the goal face, didn't get banged for buck. And as the old adage goes, I mean, footy's what, 170 odd years old. And this age never, ever um, gets old. Bad kicking is bad footy. And Melbourne did have a little sniff in that um, in that third quarter. You know, Bannon kicked that late goal in the first half to give them to to give the D's a little bit of a pulse. And they were really good in the third quarter. You know, they came. They actually the D's actually came quite hard in the second half after Adelaide. You know, they failed to shut the door. Um, but ironically, or coincidentally, just like the Crows did in the in the in the first half, Melbourne then couldn't quite capitalise fully on the momentum that they had. And when Ponta kicked that um, second goal from the pocket, which was an absolute beauty, um, that pretty much signaled the end for Melbourne. Um, and Adelaide, it was party time for the Crows. And what, a, what an achievement. Three flags in five years. They are a dynasty team. It's a, been an amazing achievement. Well, they have uh, some of the most readily identifiable players in the game, don't they? Aaron Phillips, obviously, leading the way. Ebony Marinoff, uh, mm. Chelsea Randall. And Hatchard, you name it, they've got uh, oh, Danielle Ponto. They've got so many great players there. Melbourne had their chances at the end, just stumbled on, uh, well, not stumbled on, was reminded of a, a curio out, a statistical curio out of it. Not a, a nice one for poor old Taylor Harris, but uh, she has now played in three losing grand finals against Adelaide, each for different sides. <laughs> Brisbane in uh, the first one, 2017, Carlton 2019, and now Melbourne in 2022. Look, credit to Melbourne for getting there. Um, they really uh, came home with a rush this season. Daisy Pierce, of course, such a popular uh, symbol of the women's game and plenty of people um, wanting her to do it in, in what we suspect may be her last game, but we're still, I think we're still waiting for an official 
announcement on that. But um, look, uh, credit to all concerned with Adelaide. They definitely are a, a dynasty team. Quick word on the crowd, 16,712. I saw a, a few arguments either way about whether that was a good crowd or not. Of course, uh, a shadow of the 50,000 a couple of years ago, but then admission was free in those days. I think the game time was pretty ordinary, 12.30. And I know they wanted to fit it in with the men's competition, but I'm not sure they should be made to make those compromises. I don't think that helped. I think... Uh, a uh, fair COVID outbreak in Adelaide at the moment probably didn't help. I don't know. Do you think that's a, a decent crowd or not? 60,000. Um, yeah, like you say, there were there were mitigating factors. And perhaps um, what they could have done was maybe made, you know, that North Melbourne City game the early game and make the grand final the that 2.30 slot. That might have been the solution because then they probably would have got um, a better crowd to it. Um, yeah, listen, it's... As you say as well, like the, the tickets weren't free. They, they were $10 a pop. Uh, not the worst crowd. You know, it's not, not too bad. I, I still very much think that, um, you know, the, the, the AFLW is still um, finding its feet in many respects. And I think it's done pretty well in the first six years to capture the, uh, the interest and, the, um, uh, and I guess the imagination of, of girls all over the country. Um, so I think, I think, yeah, go on. Don't forget too, we've had three of the seasons now affected by COVID and, mm. uh, you know, fixturing particularly in this one was an absolute nightmare. So, uh, look, there are mitigating circumstances. I, I don't think that's too much cause for concern. And, of course, the next season, not all that far away with that uh, <laughs> change of season. When does it start? It's August, isn't it? Well, it sounds like it's August. Yeah. Yeah, okay. Yeah. I think it's a bit like when the NBL sort of switched, they sort of, uh, it reminds me of that. But I think it's the right call. Like it's sort of, um, it's sort of short-term pain for long-term game. I think that is the best time for a women's season. So they kind of just have to suck it up for this year, but then, they reset and then every season from now on will be at that time. I think. I think it's a better solution than waiting, you know, a year and a yeah. half. Yeah, um, absolutely. Uh, given, given the fact that they're trying to build momentum. Anyway, congratulations to the Adelaide Football Club and the Adelaide Women's Program Premiers for a third time. Uh, that kicked off the weekend of football, but uh, round nine in the men's brand kicked off on Thursday evening. Let's have a chat about that one. Round four kicked off on Thursday evening at Adelaide Oval with Port Adelaide uh, facing a bit of a crisis already uh, up against defending Premier Melbourne. Could they come out and uh, give us one of those vintage backs-to-the-wall performances? Well, the answer, in short, no, they couldn't. Uh, they tried. They tried to play a game of keepings off against the Demons. And uh, it didn't work. Not only did they fail to put the shutters on Melbourne, they could not score themselves. In fact, so bad was the situation that Port was goalless at halftime, the first time in its AFL history that has been the case. In the end, in a low-scoring game, a very, very comfortable 32-point win to the Demons. 10-8-68, defeating Port Adelaide 4-12-36. The goal kickers from Melbourne, Fritch, Three, Harms, two, singles to McDonald, Viney, Langdon, Gorn and Jackson. For the power, two to Motlop and the others to Houston and Georgiades. Well, I'd to say, uh, Ronnie, as a spectacle, um, particularly early, this was dire stuff indeed. Uh, three behinds to one goal, three at quarter time. 
I thought, God, are we going to see a, a winning score of four goals, five goals, <laughs> something? Fortunately, Melbourne were able to uh, break the shackles with a five goal to two behind second term. And that effectively, um, given how Port was playing, put the game out of reach for them. Really disappointing performance by the power. I guess they had to try something, but you would have preferred to see them try something with a positive bent about it. Um, complications for them, of course, losing Ollie Wines early in the piece. And worryingly, he was taken to hospital with um, some heart issues, uh, suffering nausea and uh, uh, headaches and um, uh, some heart issues. We don't know the full extent of that. Hopefully, uh, fingers crossed. For Ollie and his family, of course, his lovely mum, Jane Wines, a good friend of the program, Jane. Uh, hopefully, things okay with him. But um, great science in Melbourne. I mean, there's an argument. I think the Ds haven't really hit top gear in any of their games so far this season, and yet they're four and zip and uh, chugging along beautifully. Yeah, they were just... Um, that, that was one of the more incredible defensive performances um, I've seen it in a very long time. I mean, how, how good was Stephen May down there? He was just, they could not get anything past him. And as good as Stephen May was, I mean, how bloody good was Max Gorn? That's one of the great games he's played. I mean, <laughs> you can't say in a while because he kicked five, five goals against Geelong in a prelim about three, four or five games ago. So he's just in, he's in an incredible um, patch of his career at the moment, Max. He was unbelievable. Um, really set the tone for the team and, it was assisted as well, given the fact that Lysette pretty much played most of the game with a what looked like a sore shoulder, but it, it, he was unstoppable gone. And you mentioned that Port were, were goals at halftime. Took them 106 minutes for their first goal. 106 minutes. Dan Houston got their first goal with four minutes left in the third quarter. I mean, that's just, that's uncompetitive rubbish. I mean, you know, you can say that, you know, they're missing Charlie Dixon, they're missing Robbie Gray, they're missing Fantastic. Asia, I get all that, but this is an AFL team. I mean, this is an AFL team that, you know, played in a prelim five games ago. They, they should, there's no excuse for a performance like that. And, you know, it, it, they were just lucky by the fact that Melbourne are just such a defensive-minded team that they, they didn't end up losing by a lot more. I think the margin swelled to 53 at one stage in the final quarter before, mercifully, Port Adelaide were allowed to kick the last three goals to add some lipstick to the pig that was that scoreline. But it was just, it was, yeah, the, the, the pressure, the defensive structure, it's so organised, like such a well-organised team down back the days. You know, Lever comes back, just further bolsters that side. The scary thing is Petty and Hibbard still are out of that team. I mean, they, it's, they're, their only way is up for this team and they're on top of the ladder already at four zip. Yeah, well, the uh, you know the only missing piece of the equation, I guess, the last couple of years was the forward setup. And when Brown came back last year and started to click, um, and and Fritch just got better and better, I guess everything sort of fell into place there. They, there's no doubt they have a complete side. In contrast, you do. I am looking at Port now and wondering how they've managed to play in the last two preliminary finals. <laughs> I mean. Uh, you know, have they had a favourable run with injury? Um, you know, have they had a softy straw? Uh, I tell you what, Ken Hinckley is so ferociously under the pump. There's certainly a view among Port supporters, I think, that this is an underperformed side and should be doing a lot more. I don't necessarily agree with that because I, I see some real limitations with this list. Now, clearly, 
the reliance on Dixon's been one. So to that end, okay, with Georgiades is coming through, you know, we've seen the odd uh, glimpse from Marshall, you know, so hopefully they can do something there. Um, their defence has always been pretty solid. I think the big issue is still the midfield and that reliance on Wines and Boak. And yeah, Carl Amon, a greatly improved player for them. Um, you know, Dan Houston moving to midfield, he's been good for them. But they don't have enough. You know, you look at the likes of Melbourne and the Bulldogs and look how many bona fide midfielders they have or guys that can even take a short uh, rotation through the midfield. And this is where, the, the, for Port, the likes of Rosie, Butters, you know, Dersma, um, these blokes have simply got to become bigger parts of the equation than they are. Because I, I sort of feel like after that great start they all got, I feel like they've all sort of plateaued a bit. You know, they haven't really gone on the way they should have. How do you see that? No, I totally agree with you. And, you know, you can even throw in a, a, a Pal Pepper type as well. Like, he'll play a good game here and there, but then he'll go missing. And Pal Pepper, uh, at this stage, um, it, the, the the situation they find themselves in, he, he's really one guy they really need to step up. And you can argue whether he has not. He had a good game a few weeks ago where he kicked a few goals, but... It's just not enough from him. And you're right, it's wines, boke, or bust. And, and what you said earlier about, um, you know, how they made two prelims in a row, well, don't forget, throughout the whole pandemic, Port Adelaide were one of the most least affected teams by the pandemic. They got to stay at their own home. They had the rails run. They, they played home games almost, almost entirely throughout the whole pandemic. They had home finals, whereas all the, whereas all the other contenders, they were uprooted, had to do... Heaps of travelling. I mean, the Bulldogs travelled all over the country during last year's final series and still beat them by 12 goals. Mm. So that may have helped them as well. And and given that absolute golden run they had, they still couldn't qualify for one grand final. You know, they became the first interstate or non-Victorian team in AFL history to lose back-to-back home preliminary finals. That's not a great um, stat that you want to hang your hat on. So yeah, I think, yeah. No, some fair observations there, particularly about the, the COVID factor, I guess. Look, uh, I wonder if um, the game's changing a bit in that sides don't have that definitive sort of premiership windows or, or you know, sort of uh, periods in which they have to strike while the iron's hot. I think you can rebuild sort of on the run, but you would say that um, if Port, well, they're not going to be making preliminary finals from here let's be honest uh you know if they are going to sort of rise again it's going to have to be with a different looking team and who knows perhaps a different coach to the one they have now um next week round five sees melbourne playing gws at the mcg that game on easter saturday saturday evening and for port uh doesn't get a lot easier well i'll be playing a chastened let's say chastened carlton after the Events of today, that game at the MCG on Easter Sunday at 1.40pm. But in short, Melbourne on the top of the ladder and Port Adelaide on the bottom of the ladder. All right, that was Thursday evening. Let's talk about Friday. Friday evening down at GMHPA Stadium in Geelong. Well, these two had a ripper in uh, the similar game or the, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Equivalent game last season of course controversial finish and uh might be a bit a bit of deja vu all over again uh because of rather controversial um or non-free kick which may have uh pretty much sealed 
what was a 10-point victory to Geelong in this game. The final scores, Geelong 11-14-80, defeating Brisbane 11-4-70. The goal kickers, Tomahawk, who was the beneficiary of that non-decision, kicked five. Uh, the rest, all singles for Brisbane. Danaher, three. McStay, three. Two to Cameron. Uh, singles, the rest. Well, pretty close all evening. Two goals apiece at quarter time. Uh, just three points, The sorry, nine points difference at half time. Uh, a kick or so at three quarter time. Uh, it was a hard game to call. And that controversy, if you like, uh, was a marking contest in which Tom Hawkins, well, let's not uh, mess around here for all the world. Looked like he shoved Harris Andrews fair and square in the back. Somehow it wasn't paid, kicked the sealer from close range. I think, though, and Brisbane coach Chris Fagan did admit this, Ronnie, the better side on the evening one. Uh, Geelong were in front for most of the game and, uh, you know, sort of held sway in the major um, areas of the game, statistical and uh, in terms of winning positions, I would have thought. So uh, good effort by Geelong and uh, from at three-quarter time against Collingwood last week, looking like they're in a world of trouble. Uh, they've turned things around pretty well over the last five quarters and uh, as we've said so often over the last 20 years, the Cats, the perennial Cats, uh, back in the ball game again. Yes, indeed. I mean, it was... Uh, you, do pro- you do raise a good point in terms of the fact that you know, Geelong probably... We're on top for most of the night, um, but yeah, there were some. <laughs> there were some. There seemed to be some free kicks at, at cru- or non-free kicks at crucial stages that did um, seem to have a bit of a bearing, especially that last one that you mentioned, uh, Hawkins uh, on Andrews. But um, they just get the job done. They, they, you know, they they just don't seem to know when to um, quit the Cats. It's an amazing. They're an amazing club. They really are. That, you know, I think back to. <laughs> What they were like before Bomber Thompson, they, you know, they, were, you know, they, they were. What was, what was the 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 knock on them? The handbags, weren't it? the oh, soft, the yeah. handbags. <laughs> they were a bit erratic as well, I think. But they just—I know they don't make too many grand finals. They've made one in the last ten years, but they're just so metronomically consistent. Like they're, they're probably going to finish, or they should definitely finish top eight this year. And it would not surprise me if they're going to finish top four again. They just. They find they find what they they find a gear when they need it, and against a really good team on the weekend, they they did it again. And Tomahawk, I mean, he, is it when's this guy going to retire? I mean, he looks as good as he's ever looked. Five goals again, and he could keep playing for another four or five years at this rate. I reckon he's one of the most underrated key forwards I've seen in my time watching footy, uh, mm. and that's probably because of that consistency. I think we just sort of come to expect it. And he's been part of some incredible Geelong sides that had so much talent. We tended to talk about him a bit less, but um, you know, he, he's be, become a better and better player. In fact, as their premiership qualities have waned almost. So that's another sign of, of how good a performer he is. Look, I think one thing you can say about Geelong, certainly over the last five quarters, I think they're trying to play a more positive brand of footy. They're, they're certainly moving the ball a bit quicker now. I think they're, Handballing forward a bit more, obviously. They're, you know, they're not so stop-start. Um, and I think some of the younger guys who have come into that side, and we talked about Maxi, my boy Maxi Holmes, <laughs> but uh, Brandon Parfit, you know, really good for them. Brad Close has been really good for them. Um, those sort of guys, Narkel was part of it uh, until he was injured, of course, on Friday night. They are making a bit of a difference too. 
Um, the other thing worth mentioning about Geelong too is that uh, two late changes they had to endure, which was uh, Radagalia uh, out with an ankle and Tom Stewart, a uh, very important part of that defensive setup. He had gastro, so uh, had to replace them at short notice and managed to escape out of that unscathed. Brisbane, look, I think, um, you know, no one likes losing, but as far as losses go, a 10-point loss, at Geelong to a Geelong playing pretty good footy. Uh, it's certainly not a cause for concern, I would have thought. Um, there's things I'd like to do better. I mean, I think Lockie Neal's influence was quelled a bit by Mark O'Connor and that made him a bit less explosive, I think. But, you know, they're still potent enough up forward. I think their defence, you know, Andrews, Marcus Adams are, are solid enough. Um, you know, we, we know they're going to be thereabouts, I think, at the very least. Yeah, I actually thought Marcus Adams was was outstanding the other night. I thought it's one of the best games he's played in a very long time, if not his career. He was he was um, exceptional um, in defence and and up forward. I thought Mark, uh, Daniel McStay played one of the, one of his best games too. Um, Fourteen disposals, three goals, eleven marks. Um, he really provided a very sound um, uh, target up forward. I think mean, he had four contested marks as well. So. Um, he was very good. I thought Joe Danaher was very good as well, you know, a bit erratic. I mean, he went, he did it again the other day. He, he, he um, played on, I believe. Yes. Yeah, yeah, he did it again. It's just, I think that's just Joe. I think uh, there's no point trying to fight it. It's just his instincts. But um, I don't think the Lions are going to be, uh, yeah, completely distraught about this performance. They're not going to have to, they won't have to play Geelong down there again this year. If they play him again, um, later in the year in, in the finals, will either be up at the Gabba or at the MCG. So um, that will be a different kettle of fish. So, um, yeah, I don't think uh, either side will walk away from this uh, too, too upset, um, especially, especially Geelong. I mean, Geelong, um, you know, Dangerfield didn't have much of an influence and they didn't have Selwood either. I thought that was a good sign for the Cats as well. Um, kudos too to uh, that man, Isaac Smith. Uh, veteran status now, he's achieved so much already in his career you wouldn't think he's necessarily got a heap to play for he could have just taken his uh, pension check or you know sort of resign himself to giving less than 100 percent on decent cash at the cattery but uh gee he's been good for them he's so consistently good for them and close to their best again on friday night 29 disposals terrific performance from him so mm. uh certainly hasn't done a lot for their age profile and so enshrined <laughs> there spot as the oldest list in the competition. But uh, Smith has certainly been great value for money for the Cats. So a uh, good pick up there, I'd suggest. All right, that is Thursday and Friday night. Let's talk about Saturday. Well, Saturday afternoon saw uh, what I think clearly would have been the boil over of the season thus far. Um, uh, but for, uh, well, an error at a crucial stage, which we'll talk about in a minute. But uh, North Melbourne pushing Sydney all the way at the SCG. Sydney, in the end, emerging with, uh, fortunately for them, an 11-point win. But that uh, last goal coming literally in the last couple of seconds, the final scores 13-8-86, the Swans to North Melbourne. A very accurate 12-3-75. The goals for the Swans, two each to Franklin, Bell, McLean and Heaney. And for the Roos, five to Jack Zebel, who was moved forward. And uh, he was a terrific um, presence up near the goal front for the Roos. Two to Goldstein, 
and singles the rest. Well, North uh, were in this up to their necks for the entire duration of the game, uh, made their intent pretty clear with a four-goal first quarter, trailed by just three points at halftime, and another great third term, five goals straight in the third term to uh, 3-2 by the Swans, gave them a narrow three-quarter time lead. Unfortunately, just couldn't convert opportunities in that last quarter, Sydney managing four goals to one. A critical moment too with uh, the Roos, just, uh, what was it, five points down, still I think 50 seconds or so left on the clock, and uh, R2 Bosnavalagi, um, the recipient of a 50-metre penalty, just had to pump the ball into the teeth of goal, son. Instead, he went short to Todd Goldstein, only about 25 metres away. Uh, didn't hit the target. Um, a spoil turnover and that uh, dagger through the heart landed by, uh, who was it? Isaac Heaney, I think. Um, yeah, yeah, it was. Yeah, it was at, a the, yeah. at the end of the game to ensure victory for the Swans. So, look, of course, the Kangaroos will be disappointed, but um, they can take a lot of heart out of that effort because uh, compared to that um, oh, abysmal performance against Brisbane the previous week, uh, these were two efforts that were chalk and cheese, weren't they? Oh, indeed. Um, and even the, the about three seconds before that, um, the Santa Valagi um, incident, how, how the hell did Sydney stop North Melbourne from scoring? And that remember that crazy... Goldmouth scramble where it was just the ball yeah. just, just did not get over the line. Yeah. And you know, Goulden hacked it out of there and uh and then Greenwood took McInerney high and they managed to clear the danger, albeit momentarily, but that was uh that was incredible as well. But yeah, no, North Melbourne, at least listen, if you don't get smashed, what your supporters want to see is at least a response to to at least show that you care and you give us stuff about the jumper. And North Melbourne did that and then some on the weekend. I mean, they almost won. I mean, it brought back memories of, uh, what was it, the game in 2018 when Gold Coast played the, the Swans up at the SCG when yep. just out of nowhere, one of the weirdest results in 20 years, the Suns just thought, all right, we'll win by four goals here. Just yep. completely out of the blue. It sort of brought back memories of that. Um, and I thought I thought the North Melbourne were, were simply marvellous for most of the game. And they got out to a 17-point lead. In the first half, Sydney looked like that they were going to, you know, break the game open when they kicked, I think, four or five goals either side of half time in a row. And, but then, as you say, they they hit back hard. Simpkin kicked that goal on the run, which sparked them into gear again. And Zebra was absolutely fantastic. I mean, for the third time in his 243-game career, he kicked five goals. Uh, great move by David Noble. Um, you know, he may Zebra may have been um, not giving them as much as they would have liked in defence, threw him up forward, and beautiful kick for goal. I think people have forgotten what, just what a beautiful kick for goal Zebel still is. So mm. that was a good little ace up their sleeve. But just unfortunately for them, they just, um, you know, when the, when the heat really came on in the last quarter, uh, the Swans threw some individual brilliance from Heaney and, and your boy, another one of your boys, Justin McInerney, he had a massive final quarter. And... I'm, I'm glad, I'm glad <laughs> you mentioned him because I was about to bring him up. Uh, in <laughs> fact, just before I do... It, it, what this says to me about North Melbourne is, and you know, I'm I'm notorious at uh, getting on my high horse about people, um, the hyperbole that goes on the AFL media. But a side like an unfancied side like North Melbourne has only got to have one shocker, as they did against Brisbane, and you got people saying, "Are they AFL standards? Should they move to Tasmania?" Blah 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 blah. And look, they turn around and prove this. I mean. 
you know, okay, they're, they're struggling at the moment. They're trying to rebuild, but they are far from a basket case with performances like that. Now, Justin McInerney, I've been blowing this guy's trumpet, so to, <laughs> so to speak. I'm glad you said trumpet, right, don't, don't draw further attention to it. Uh, since late in 2020, but I'm telling you, okay, here's a big call. Justin McInerney will win a Brownlow medal. Whoa! We're, what, so what is it? We're recording it. This is 8.01 p.m. Sunday night, uh, April the 10th, 2022. Put that in the diary, everyone. Put that in the diary. Rocco says McInerney will win the brown line. It's just dy- dynamic. He's got pace. He's got skills. He's smart. Uh, I think he's just going to keep getting better and better. And um, what a player. Geez, they've got some great young players. And he's right at the uh, the forefront of it. Along, too, with young Chad. I like the Chad. <laughs> I'm a big Chad Warner fan as well. Um, yeah, look, uh, they'll want to play better than that, Sydney. Uh, last couple of weeks haven't necessarily been their best, have they? And it shows, again, I mean, I make a similar point to what I made about North. Even the, uh, you know, the 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 better sides, and uh, I know myself and Shorey both feel like the Swans are a potential top four team now, but you've got to be on your game. You know, any side can lose unexpectedly if they're off their game. And that's the the beauty of the competition we have now. But uh, look, a win's a win. Um, and they got there in the end. They will need to play a bit better than they have been the last couple of weeks. So, Yeah, you're right. They've got West Coast at Optus next week, so they're going to have to um, uh, rejuvenate West Coast. So that's not going to be an easy game. And I, I think you make a good point about North Melbourne. I mean, it's like the, the short-term memory w- amongst lots of pundits. I mean, we're having the exact same... Co- well, no, I wasn't part of it, but people last year were saying that North weren't going to win a game at this stage of the year. Uh, we're going to win after they got smashed by the Bulldogs on Good Friday. Ended up winning four games and drawing one, and they were actually quite competitive in the second half of the year. It's like we, we've just been through this last year, and people are uh, saying all these things about North again. Like, they're, they're, okay, they're not world beaters, but you know they're, they're clearly in a rebuild. So you're going to have those stinkers from now and then. And Brisbane aren't going to be, you know, they're not going to be the only team that Brisbane are going to pulverise over the gabber there this year. So. Yeah, no, well, it's, uh, there's a perennial hot take competition <laughs> going on now, and unfortunately, most of them are really stupid um <laughs> in fact i'm still trying to digest mick malthouse claiming essendon to win the premiership i don't know where that was coming from but... that was a reverse moz he's that essence is most hated club that's why he did it. don't worry about mick he knows what he's doing well certainly wasn't based on logic i don't <laughs> think uh anyway there you go a narrow and uh in some ways perhaps fortunate but a victory nonetheless for the swans and uh, after four games they are sitting in sixth spot on the ladder at three and one and the Roos, uh, second last, but a much better effort from them this week. Uh, they are at one and three. And uh, actually, just what we're talking about, opponents they have got next week. Uh, the Bulldogs, of course, the Good Friday game at Marvel Stadium, 4.20pm on the Good Friday. All right, victory for Sydney in the first of the Saturday engagements. Let's talk about the next one. Well, having those two had some classic battles over the years, and uh, this one uh, might not be up there for quality, but it will certainly be remembered as a result because West Coast, who have been through the ringer this year with COVID protocols, injuries, you name it, they've made 14 changes one week, 12 changes another week, uh, come to Melbourne, undermanned again, and 
lo and behold, managed to upset Collingwood by 13 points in what I think uh, is being rightly hailed as one of their best wins under the coaching of Adam Simpson. 13 points the margin in the end. West Coast, a very, very accurate 14-3-87, defeating Collingwood 10-14-74. The goal kickers, that man, Josh Kennedy, evergreen. He was uh, on his game in this particular occasion. Three goals to him, three to Willie Rioli, terrific up forward as well. Two to Ryan, two to Darling. And for the Pies, two to Ginevan, two to Majacek, and singles the rest. Well, neck and neck, really, the whole day. Collingwood leading by seven points at three-quarter time. But West Coast really finding something in that last quarter, Ronnie. Five goals to one, the uh, tail of a tape in that last term. And uh, a goal to Darling basically sealing victory. Um, certainly up there, ante in terms of clearances and contested ball when it counted. Pretty sure the Eagles won the clearances 8-4 or thereabouts in that last quarter. Um, but just as a, a team left, given what they've been through, um, this was a fantastic win by them, wasn't it? Uh, 100%. So they were missing Gaff, Sheed, Yo, Kelly, Allen, Shuey, Cripps, Petrocelli, and you can even throw in Petrovsky Seaton, who hasn't been too bad in his early career there. That's a lot of star power. Like, you know, to come over here after all the disruptions that they've had, you know, 14 changes one week, 13 changes the next. And absolutely embarrassed by Fremantle in their derby. Um, reasons, um, valid reasons, obviously. But then to put that all aside and come over the other side of the country and just um, put in a performance like that, you know, some really great performances, especially up forward, as you mentioned, Josh Candy. I mean, he, he delivered when they really needed in crucial moments. Willie Rioli, I mean, a lot's been made of Charlie Kerno in terms of a bonus return for a team in terms of, you know, how much time a player has missed and has just come back and almost recaptured his best form instantaneously. Uh, Willie Rioli, he's, what a bonus he's been for the Eagles after so much time out. He has been so good for that team. Um, almost dragged them over the line against North a few weeks ago, and he was very important again tonight uh, in that game as well. Um, just a really, a really good performance and yet another advertisement of how important good kicking is in football. 14-3-87 to 10-14-74. I mean, Collingwood, for the second week in a row, have completely cost themselves because of their inefficiency. They had 18 more inside 50, 60 to 42. Wow. Yeah. Seven more scoring shots, 24 to 17. They lose by 13 points. They only got themselves to blame. They, they did a similar job against Geelong the week before. I know they had that really amazing third quarter. But at halftime, they were 4-11 when they um, really had um, the momentum in that first half. So full kudos to West Coast for really um, being so efficient and taking their chances uh, when they had them. It gets worse for Collingwood too. Uh, Jamie Elliott um, injuring an AC joint. Looks like he might be out for uh, anywhere up to about three months. And that's mm. terrible luck for him. He's had so many injuries over the journey. He's such a good player and so important for them too. He's a real... I think he's a real barometer for him. His performance so often goes a long way to uh, determining whether Collingwood are in the game or not. Quick word on some of the Eagles' lesser lights too. Uh, in particular, Patrick Nash. I thought he was uh, really good value at important stages for them. Xavier O'Neill, uh, Luke Edwards, another one. Connor West. You know, they all did their jobs. And um, well, kudos to the Eagles. I mean, uh, you know, it's been a struggle, but they really haven't 
been blown away in any game, really, so far this season, despite ridiculous amounts of personnel being out. So, uh, look, we think they're going to struggle. Um, their slide down the ladder may be expedited by the COVID situation as well as the age of their list. But uh, you have to give them credit at least this season for resilience, even if it hasn't necessarily resulted in wins. Well, they did get pants by Fremantle last week, but the first two weeks they were pretty, yeah, they were pretty um, uh, resilient. And I've got to say, you look, we, we gave all the kudos to the midfield and the, and the forward line, but town back, Jeremy McGovern and Tom Barris were absolutely sensational. I think that the, they finished with 23 more rebound 50s West Coast, 50 to 27, I think the, the, the number was. And that was a huge reason for that was, McGovern and Barris. Uh, McGovern ended up with a game-high 11 intercept possessions uh, to go with 22 disposals, eight marks. Uh, he's he's a phenomenal player. And, uh, yeah, and Alex, actually, Alex Witherden's another one. You know, uh, he really stood up as well. 27 touches, nine intercept possessions. So, um, yeah, and Barris had seven intercept possessions. And he also, Barris also had three contested marks, um, which is half as many as what Brody White should took and he how good was my chick yeah. in that last quarter he, he did everything he could to drag his team over the line taking those huge marks against McGovern but yeah West Coast really it was a real great example of resilience grit determination and that's one of their best wins for a long time so the Eagles uh, break the ice one and three now they are in 15th spot on the ladder the Pies still in the top eight uh, just on percentage with a 2-2 record However, uh, I'd suggest if you said to most Collingwood people after a month of the new season, you're going to be two and two, I reckon most would have just about taken that. Uh, I don't think expectations are that high um, for this uh, team being redeveloped under a new coach. So two, two, I reckon they would basically take that and, you know, not that far away from uh, a four and zip start. Now, what's on the agenda for these two next week? Uh, You mentioned earlier, West Coast play Sydney, uh, tough assignment, although it is at home. That is on Good Friday, 7.40 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. And uh, Pies, sorry, real tough one for you guys. You go and play Brisbane at the Gabba. uh, Good Friday Eve, that one, 7.35 p.m. So um, they'll need to be at their best. Quick word, too, on, uh, well... There haven't been too many recruits that I've seen more hype about than uh, young Nicholas Dacos, but, geez, be good. <laughs> he uh, led their disposal count, uh, the Pies, 32 disposals. He seems to have dragged Josh along with him because I think Josh is playing some really good footy. In fact, those two were two of the Pies' three leading ball winners. Um, so there's plenty of pluses to the Pies this year, but... Uh, look, I, I do know young Nick. I got to know him uh, when I was doing Mungook Footy Show, actually. He'd come along with Peter, who was a regular panellist. And uh, lovely young kid, um, very self-effacing about his ability. But uh, the way he's just breezed into AFL football and, and seemed totally at home, uh, I think all that hype was more than justified. Absolutely. He's been absolutely sensational. And speaking of Nick, I think we neglected to mention Jason Horn francis in our uh, wrap of the North Sydney game. He was he was very good as well. I think these those two players are going to be right up there uh, when the Rising Star uh, gets announced. But Nick's just a he's just a beautiful user of the ball. He's just um, got this uh, sixth sense of how 
how to what his decision making is just is right up there. And a fourth gamer, uh, the Collingwood Magpies have a very good one on their hands. And he just looks calm too. You know, you know, some players get the ball and, and you look at their eyes and they're, you know, they're like rabbits in the in the spotlight too. He just has this air of calmness. It's like, oh yeah, I know what I need to do here and I'll I'll do it. And he does. So uh yep, Pies, uh look forward to a lot of great games out of the two Dacos boys. All right, that was uh the Saturday Twilight game. Two games played on Saturday evening. Well, two very well-performed sides of the last few years met at the MCG on Saturday night. It was Richmond up against the Western Bulldogs, both needing a win uh, with negative win-loss records after three games. Uh, But that win went to the Tigers, who uh, were assisted, not saying they didn't deserve to win, of course they did, but were certainly assisted by, for a second week in a row, a shockingly inaccurate Western Bulldogs. The final scores, Richmond 15-9-99, defeating the Western Bulldogs 7-19-61. 7-19, and I'll look it up in a moment, but I think the Bulldogs over the last nine quarters of footy are oh, something 31 behinds. I think they've racked up in no, that time. It's quite no. phenomenal. It's, it's worse than that. It's worse than that. It's 1843. 1843. Since three-quarter time against Carlton. 1843. That is is shocking. All right, the goal kickers. Uh, We won't give you the behind kickers or or the Bulldogs. A few behinds may have been kicked after the game. Uh, For the Tigers, four to Lynch, two to Bolton, two to Rewald, including a big post-siren barrel. Wasn't that a beauty? Yeah. At uh, three-quarter time. Singles the rest. For the Bulldogs, two to Norton and singles the rest for the Doggies, um, who are in all sorts of bother, let's be honest, with a win-loss record now of 1-3. The Tigers, uh, two and two, but uh, that was a lot more like the Tigers uh, we've come to know and respect over the last four or five years, isn't it? The pressure game was back, dangerous up forward. Um, uh, they were in good, good nick. Yeah, that was that was a very very good performance by the Tigers, and uh, it was uh, yeah. I mean, there were some there were some worrying signs early in the year. You know, they lost to Carlton, they lost to St Kilda last week, especially. I mean, that was um, that sort of let the alarm bells going, you know, and then they can see ten goals in a row. But to their credit, I mean, that's a really good effort to to turn that around so quickly, and um, you know, end up really convincing winners in the end because it wasn't just all as you mentioned, it wasn't just all about the Bulldogs inaccuracy that in that second half, the Tigers really um, turned the screws on the dogs and, you know, in knowing uh, played a big part in why the dogs, you know, were, were so inaccurate. I think, I really do think the dogs felt the pressure that they were under and it, it seeped in. I mean, some of those set shots that they missed were just unbelievable. Like, well, was... also, also some ill discipline, uh, a couple of 50 metre penalties uh, for infringements of the stand rule that uh, gifted Richmond goals. I mean, you know, in, in generally lower scoring games of football these days, you can't afford to make mistakes like that that are going to cost you a goal every time. But look, for me, Richmond, uh, Jaden Short, Daniel Rioli, both pretty impressive off halfback. But that sort of trademark Richmond desperation and, and you know, sort of uh, harassment of opponents and, uh, you know, getting in the face of the opponents with the ball and, um, you know, the, the little taps and nudges and knock-ons, 
I thought Liam Baker in particular was uh, terrific in that regard for the Tigers and skipper Trent Cochin pretty good as well. And superstars, well, they may be without one at the moment in Dusty Martin, but, and look, he did have his praises sung to a large extent by the commentators, but I tend to agree with him. Shea Bolton, he could be anything, this guy. What a fantastic goal he kicked to the uh, punt road end. And the question is, which one is the goal of the year so far? Ed Langdon or Shea Bolton? Oh, I'd be going for Shea Bolton, I think. It had a, a touch more uh, deliberation about it. I think uh, Ed might have got lucky to an extent. I think Shea was, uh, you know, it was like, uh, in fact, who made this call? Was it might have been Jason Dunstall. It was a lot like that Wayne Carey left foot banana from the same pocket for North Melbourne against Essendon back in 1999, Ronnie. I do remember that. He kicked 10 and Lloyd kicked 7 in Correct. one of the great shootouts of the 90s. Um, uh, yeah, Shea Bolton. So essentially, in layman's terms, you're saying Shea Bolton's kick was more class than us. Uh, than the... Correct. <laughs> All right, so we just uh, cut, we cut through that. There we go. Uh, it was an amazing goal, wasn't it? It was. Uh, he, I mean, he could he could back up a mark of the year with the goal of the year. This is the kind of guy we're talking about. He's got all the tricks, and um, and yeah, uh, 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 and uh, one other guy that I don't think we've mentioned yet, Marlon Pickett. I thought Marlon Pickett that was, he was he was quite superb as well for the Tigers. One of the better games he's played as well, and um, and and Nan Curvis as well really led from the front. You know, Tim English. Was pretty good, but I thought Toby Nane Curvis, um, you know, held his own against English. Who, by the way, English, I think, could be a sneaky for all of at the moment. He started very well for the Dogs, but um, other than that, not too much to write home about for the Dogs after the first month. Now, another uh, Richmond person we should mention here too is Dion Prestia. Um, I don't know why he often sort of goes unmentioned, but uh, maybe it's just you know it's sort of fairly unspectacular, I guess, the way. He, gathers his possessions, but uh, pretty sure he was the best and fairest winner in a premiership year for them. Um, Sounds right, yeah. And his influence, I guess, around the midfield contest can't be underestimated. Look, I wrote a, a piece during the week. In fact, I wrote a piece about how both the Eagles and Richmond's list might uh, be in decline, and it's been sort of um, papered over a bit by the, the temporary issues of COVID and injuries in the Tigers' case. And I don't back away from that. I think they're more dependent on their best players than they were. But by the same token, I guess a guy like Prestia coming back sort of proves to you that, you know, you, you can try to sort of explain those things a hundred ways. But if you've got all your best players on the park and they play good footy, uh, you know, you're a pretty good chance to to perform as people expect you to. And I think people have that expectation about Richmond this year. So when... You know, most of those good players are back and uh, there's still a few more to come back to, isn't there? Kane Lambert's another one. And I think, I believe, did hear he could be returning quicker than some were suggesting. Um, they are still a force to be reckoned with. And as for the Bulldogs, well, um, I tipped them to win the flag. So how well is my tipping going? But um, one and three, it's not irretrievable, but they're going to have to get a wriggle on. Otherwise, they're just not going to be able to uh, approach this season from any sort of position of strength. Mm. Yeah, and uh, um, uh, just going back to the Tigers' injuries, I think uh, Vostone, their hope isn't far away. And well, who knows what's going to happen with Dusty? You know, if he can't, what a bonus that would be if he's able to come back. And of course, Dylan Grimes. But yeah, the, listen, the Bulldogs, what is it about the Bulldogs after making a grand final? They just don't seem to care. <laughs> no, in all seriousness, um, one and three. I would, yeah, I mean, they, uh, looking at those two years, they actually, 
um, made the grand final from low spots in the eight. So that's why that's I true. wouldn't, yeah. So I wouldn't completely write them off just yet. They do tend to get a, a, take a while to get going. Josh Bruce is really hurting them though. I think, I don't think people really under, uh, understood how big a hole that was going to leave in the dogs team. Maybe they didn't pay enough credence because, you know, he injured himself around 21 last year and the dogs still swept their way to a granny. But now with, you know, with the preseason gone, the new season starting, it's Northern really needs help down there and he's not getting it. And Bruce, um, his absence is uh, sorely felt. I, I saw that he told in an interview with 3AW, he said he, he might be only nine weeks away. So, I mean, that's, okay. that's, that's pretty good if that's the case because he, he, he reckons he ran 12 kilometres the other day. So he seems to be um, getting back on track quicker than maybe uh, we all thought. So that's that's a bit of new, good news for the dogs. Well, when you're talking about help for Norton, there's, there's no doubt he needs it, but it's it's not like it isn't there nominally, is it? And uh, the guy we're talking about there, of course, is the the, the whiz kid, Eugle Hagen. Um, it's a bit of a slow burn for old uh, Jamara at the moment, unfortunately. Pretty mm. quiet again, uh, goalless this game. I think he's shown signs in games this year, but... He still does look a fair way off being able to influence games regularly. So the sooner he can step up and uh, help poor old uh, lead singer of Wawa Knee out, um, the better. I won't let that go, incidentally. And uh, for all those thinking, what the hell are you on about? Wawa Knee was an Australian pop band of the mid-80s. And uh, Aaron Norton does bear a rather uh, strong resemblance, I think, to um, former lead singer of Wawa Knee, the late... Paul Gray. Check that one out if you do and uh, try to avoid listening to Sugar Free um, or Satisfaction or uh, I Can Make You Love Me, which were their hit singles. Anyway, I digress. Good win by the Tigers. Uh, the second Saturday evening game was over in Perth. Optus Stadium in Perth was the venue for this game. Fremantle taking on Greater Western Sydney and in the end Comfortable win to the Dockers after a big last quarter. In fact, six goals straight by the often inaccurate Dockers to GWS, who were held to just four behinds in that last term. The final scores, Fremantle 13-10-88, defeating GWS 8-6-54. The goal kickers, two to O'Driscoll, two to Collier, two to Frederick, singles the rest. For the Giants, two to Hogan up against his old side or one of his old sides, two to Himmelberg and two to Green. Well, hard-fought uh, contest this one, Ronnie. Uh, not a bad game either, but Fremantle certainly breaking clear uh, in the finish. Uh, big tick for Will Brody, their recruit, who had a career-high 36 disposals. The ageless David Mundy always... A huge factor in uh, how the Dockers go. He had 30 touches, seamless return from him after uh, missing a couple. And uh, young Nathan O'Driscoll, two goals, 20 touches, impressive again. Andrew Brayshaw, also impressive for the Dockers. So the Giants, well, that uh, midfield group, uh, that's usually uh, what dictates how the Giants go. Well, Tom Green, Tim Taranto, both pretty good for GWS around the coalface. Uh, Hogan kicked a couple of early goals uh, in what was his first game against his old opponent. Um, also, I don't often point out the free kick count, but uh, boy, it was one-sided, 42-16 to 16 
free kicks. Although, uh, before you spit the dummy, Docker fans, uh, GWS coach Leon Cameron did concede that was mostly down to his side's ill discipline. So, um, Jamie Graham uh, coaching the Dockers again too. Two from two for Jamie. Justin Longmuir might be getting a bit nervous <laughs> about his position, but good win for the Dockers. And the upshot of that, Ronnie, as we said at the top of the show, a perhaps surprising um, ladder position of third for Fremantle at three and one. Uh, GWS, in contrast, one and three, and they are 13th. Not the end of the penny section by any means, but uh, need to start turning decent performances into wins. And Leon Cameron won't be happy with that last quarter fade out. No, indeed. And uh, geez, the caretaker coaches, aren't they having a good run this year? Four and zip. Uh, you know. <laughs> so how, we've got two to Graham, one to Blake Carousella. <laughs> and one to Ash Hansen. When uh, for that. So yeah, four man. and zip. So yeah. maybe the maybe clubs might have to look at this and really uh, think about it as a strategy. But uh, no, you're right. It was, a, it was a pretty dour arm wrestle for three quarters. Um, very tight contest for three quarters, I'd say. Yeah, there was not much in it between these two teams. I guess like most other, quite a few other teams this weekend, the Dockers um, left the door open purely because of their poor goal kicking. I mean, that three-quarter time was 7-10-52 to 8-2-50. I mean, you just can't, uh, you can't, in this day and age, it's such a tight competition. You don't take your chances. You're going to run the risk of losing. However, to their credit, unlike the Bulldogs who were playing at the same time, they turned it completely around in the last quarter with six goals straight and um, some pretty important goals there. O'Driscoll it looks really important. And, and Trev Collier is coming out a nice little niche for himself over at the Dockers um, after his time at Essendon. Taking um, a while. Yeah, it did take a while. But uh, he's um, he, he kicked a couple of very important goals. Uh, one of them was a, was a set shot, actually. So good on him. And, and Griffin Logan, Brendan Cox did a, a sensational job in defence. Hogan and Himmelberg, they finished with two goals, but they were, they were on two goals very early, two goals each very early in the second quarter. So from there on, they were just completely shut out. Can I ask you this? Uh, well, I'll say this and ask you. I find it really hard to work out what I think of Fremantle, whether I think they're any good or, or not. I mean, they're, they're, a, they're a weird side, I reckon. They, they, don't, they don't play a great brand of footy, I don't think. They don't have, um, and this isn't their fault, they don't have great stability with their selection. They've had a lot of bad luck with injuries. Obviously, that hasn't helped. Um, you know, there are some good young players coming through. They just, I don't know, I, I never see with them what looks like a settled sort of lineup that you look at their team and think, okay, well, this is the Frio that we're going to see, um, you know, heading towards a, a genuine tilt at a premiership a couple of years from now. I mean, would, you know, would a Fremantle side doing that contain a, a Frederick or, um, I don't know, a, oh, I guess a Switkowski, it would. I mean, have lots of players like that, don't they? They bob up and give a good performance here or there and then they might get injured and, they seem to have continuity issues, you know, and their mm. their their most durable players tend to be those, you know, sort of senior players. I think Matt Taberner, for example, he's a generally a, a reliable barometer for them. You know, he's started to get a bit more continuity and stability, but um, I find them really hard to get a handle on. And by the same token, I'm feeling a bit that way about the Giants this year as well. I mean, yeah, finalists last year, are they? Any good this year? I'm not sure. 
Well, I think uh, with the Giants, um, we I think we actually talked about this in the in the re, uh, the, the preview podcast during the week. Uh, I mean, firstly, Toby Green just that could cost him a final series. That really could. That suspension is just such an important player, and they've had their injury. They have had their injury issues, like Jack Buckley, Brent Daniels, Phil Davis. Um, you know, uh, Jake. I don't think Jacob. No, Jacob Hopper did not play on the weekend. I think he's out for actually quite a while. Uh, Jacob Hopper, unfortunately for them, um, and uh, Nick Haynes didn't play on the weekend either. So th- those are really important players. Daniel Lloyd, pretty important players that they're missing out. I think that that's a fair reason. I, I actually think we even when we were uh, weighing up who to tip in this game, we said by default, I think Fremantle, just for the fact that um, they've got. A f- they're comparing the injury lists and the, the, the magnitude of the players on each injury list. With Frio, I think, I think um, they came out from a pretty tired last couple of years with Ross Lyon. And I think, um, you know, they really hit a pretty, uh, a pretty bad low with him. And Justin Longy, Longmuir came in 2020. That was another disrupted year. I know every team went through it. So that's perhaps not the biggest excuse. But for a first-year coach... When you're trying to imprint your your I hate this word but brand on uh, on the team, that probably wasn't it's not the ideal scenario. I think, and I do think that they are slowly on the right track with Longmuir. I think I can sort of see what he's trying to do. I do think they are a little bit too defensive minded. A little bit they, they um, compared to other teams that probably don't have um, as much dare or like um, attacking, I guess DNA. Um, they would probably like that a bit more. They're a bit dour, but they are grinding out results and they're, they're 3-1. And uh, I think that they'll be pretty happy to be in the situation that they're in at the moment with a lot of upside as well. And a, a really good test looming for them next week too. Uh, Easter Sunday, they come to Melbourne to play Essendon at Marvel Stadium. Now, I would suggest that is a game they weren't all that far off winning last year. If they are a you know, bona fide top half of the eight team. I think uh, Essendon at the moment, even at Essendon's home ground, that is a game you should be looking at winning. So um, that'll be a good test of their bona fides, I reckon, as far as I'm concerned anyway. And as for the Giants, well, um, they want a challenge. They've got one. They have got Melbourne on <laughs> Saturday evening at the MCG, 7.25pm. I don't think... They've, uh, I think their record at the MCG might be as bad as it is on any ground, actually. Uh, a night game as well, and up against the defending Premier and uh, defensive monolith. That is Melbourne. Good luck, GWS. So massive challenge for them. But as I said, a good challenge for the Dockers as well. That was Saturday. Uh, Saturday day, twilight evening. Three more games to wrap up. Uh, round four, all of them on Sunday. First game on the Sunday menu, and it was a thriller at Marvel Stadium. Essendon getting over the line against Adelaide by just four points. And Crows still a winning chance, literally, in the last couple of seconds. The final scores, Essendon 15-13, 103, defeating the Crows 15-9-99. The goal kickers, three to Peter two-metre right, or Peter two-metre right, or I'm getting sick of that nickname. I shouldn't have said it. Anyway, right three, two each to Perkins and Waterman. Singles the rest. Four Adelaide, four goals to Taylor Walker in his 
first game for the Crows this season since that suspension for racism. Three to Rochelle, a uh, really impressive debut he's making for Adelaide, and two each to Himmelberg and Rowe. Uh, Darcy Parrish, outstanding for the Bombers midfield, handed up with 38 touches. Uh, McGrath, 25. Dyson Heppel, 25. Mm, value of those touches could be questionable, perhaps, for the Crows. 38 to Laird. Uh, gee, he's a possession machine for Adelaide, Rory Laird. 27 to Dawson. Great pickup he's been, always was going to be. And uh, I was going to say Terry Keyes. Terry Keyes' son, as a matter of fact. Um, uh, I've just temporarily forgotten his name. What's his first ben, name? Ben, Ben, Ben. ben. <laughs> I had to say Cross Keys uh, down at Pascoe Vale. Um, uh, good for Adelaide again, 27. And Matt Crouch, uh, great to have him back in the lineup, uh, 26. Well, it was uh, it was heart in your mouth stuff, this. I think Essendon dominated enough of the key statistics to have won this by more. But, Ronnie, as you and I, uh, having sympathies in this direction, are aware the Bombers can be their own worst enemy at times. Some of the decision-making, i.e. when Dylan Shiel sprints forward from a centre bounce, uh, Essendon a goal and a half to the good and then just kicks it straight to an opponent, uh, or even the last few seconds of the game when Mason Redmond took what should have been the, well, was the match-saving mark, just could have stood there and hung on to the ball. Instead, he gives off a pass across the face of goal. What are these guys thinking? Anyway, uh, <laughs> Essendon hung on uh, just as well for their sake because I reckon, uh, God, there would have been some unrest had they uh, got rolled in this one. But again, for Adelaide, um, they are making headway, the Crows, and we said this during the previews. Uh, three wins in their first season under Matthew Nick, seven wins last year, uh, that great win last week in the showdown, and nearly a good win here. They've got some good young players. We just talked about the likes of Rochelle, um, Luke Gallant, you know, quieter today, but he was good for him last week. Uh, the likes of McHenry, uh, I think young Himmelberg up, up forward showing a bit. Uh, they've got some really promising signs, I think, and their development, uh, I think, uh, kudos to them. They Matthew Nix deserves a few pats on the back for what he's doing with this team. Yeah, and how easily they could be 3-1. I mean, they've lost two games by a total of uh, five points now. They lost to three by a point. And they lost today by four points. I guess on the other, the flip side, you could say, well, how easily they could have lost last week <laughs> to Port Adelaide. So swings and roundabouts. But no, they're, they're definitely, um, you know, the, the efforts there. And Matthew Nick said after the game today, he just loved how they, they just don't give up. He loves that about his team. They, they dig in, they hang in there. They're never out of it. They should have been out of it a lot earlier than they were. Essendon, as you rightly point out, they just, just when it looked like that they were going to break the game open, they would do something silly. They'd leave the door open and Adelaide would just be able to, to their credit, they were very efficient going forward, the Crows. They, they did take their chances um, more often or quite often and, um, and they even pinched back the lead late in the third quarter because of Essendon's wastefulness. And then even when the Bombers got the, you know, the momentum back after that, they, they kicked eight scores in a row of the game. Eight scores in a row either side of a three-quarter time outside the third, uh, sorry, out of the side three quarters, I'm in mean the third and the fourth, kicked one seven. So they just could not slam the door shut. And of course, when you've got someone like Tex Walker up up, up forward, who is still uh, just a, one of the best kicks for goal in the competition, and he was one of their best players, to be honest. What you know, It was a really good comeback for him. They really they came very close to pinching a win that they probably sh shouldn't have won. Uh, but, you know, Essendon got there in the end, but 
they really made life tough for themselves today, Essendon. I think structurally, one thing which has probably come out of this for Essendon is the the value of playing to Ruckman. Uh, I think uh, Andrew Phillips's presence really helped out Sam Draper and, of course, enabled Peter Wright to basically be a permanent uh, forward where he's looking very dangerous at the moment. Yeah, some other good signs from too. I think uh, Nick Hind and Mason Redmond both had pretty ordinary starts to the season, but I thought both pretty good today and needed to be. Um, young Sam, I don't know why everyone's calling him Durham, unless he, he said that. I, I would have thought the pronunciation was Durham, but uh, there you go. Maybe Sam, if you're listening, just uh, phone into Footyology and let us know how you like your name pronounced. Uh, but the likes of Archie Perkins, you know, continuing to come along. Look, there are decent signs there for Essendon, but I must say, um, for a side that made finals, I look at them and I think, geez, were you a, a bona fide finals team? Because you're not looking like it. Their, their skill level was lacking, and I think their decision-making is lacking. And I think they, they lack a bit of fibre, I reckon. They're not tough enough still. Yeah, it's interesting. I mean, you make some fair points. I'd say... Uh, in their in their defence, um, I think it was a really good effort for them to produce 11, 11 individual goal kickers when you got Stringer out. Harrison Jones is still out, um, you know. And I just one thing I can't, I mean it was explained to me after the game, but I just really surprised at how Alec Wardman's had to wait so long to to play to get his first game, given how badly Essendon has struggled to score. So, so what was the explanation? Well, because he's had a few injuries over the preseason, they wanted to play him a few times in the VFL, even though he was he was listed as an emergency the last two weeks. Well, that's, so inter- my- that's interesting, though, because I heard Jonathan Brown during the call talk about what a great preseason he'd had, although, of course, Jonathan Brown could have been talking in tongues after having sculled two litres of milk or whatever he did on that... Uh, God awful Saturday night show Fox footy had just started, but that's a discussion for another day. Sorry, that was just a, okay. a little drive by there. I'm, no, I'm yeah. dirty. I'm dirty on Fox footy. They've jettisoned Saturday stretch, my favorite Fox footy show, and they've jettisoned it in favor of this sort of throwback to the mid 1990s with Russell Robinson's live band and footballers trying to be comedians and surprise, surprise, failing badly at it. Who'd have thought? <laughs> oh, okay, let's straighten up. Where were we? Oh, that's right. Uh, Waterman. Yeah, Alec Waterman. <laughs> Sorry. So, so, he, <laughs> so he, uh, yeah, so he, he, he was an emergency the last two, the previous, so round two and round three was an emergency, but they, you know, I only think Essendon kicked um, a score over the 70s in the first three weeks. And he just, you know, he added, a, he added something extra to the, to the forward line. Peter Wright looked like he was going to have another massive game. He had a really good first half, but um, probably um, went out of it a little bit in the second half. But, I mean, that's that's all right. I think he'll get even better when Harry, Harrison Jones comes back to the team. Um, but Nick Martin as well. Nick, I think Nick, Nick Martin, what a fine this guy is. Yeah, how is this? Great. How is this? Yeah. I just, it's amazing how he was one of the very, very last players to get recruited this year. It's it's incredible. It really is. But he's been, what a find he's been. And Matt Guelphie, big props to Matt Guelphie. I think he played one of the best games he's ever played today. He was really, really good. Pressure, tackling, and kicked a really important goal as well. And still looking like a, uh, a model. Um, <laughs> uh, and uh, we don't want to upset the Adelaide fans. I'm going to have to say this every week. This isn't the Essendon show, of course. Final word on the Crows. 
I think their development's coming along at a pretty reasonable rate. How do you? How, what say you? Well, I think um, I think uh, Rochelle is just. Uh, it's the first time I've seen Rochelle live, and he's an absolute jet. Geez, I've got a player in him. He just isn't. We'll, we'll talk about Nick Dacos earlier. He's very similar. He's just not phased at all by playing senior football. There are some guys like Nick Dacos that are just they're just born for senior football. They just they've just been um, you know champing at the bit to get their crack at AFL because they know that they that they that they belong. And Rochelle is just fitting like a glove at the level. He's a, he's a hell of a player. All right. Uh, well, Essen Adelaide both now uh, with records of one three um, amongst half a dozen sides in a similar position. Next week, as we said earlier, Essendon playing Fremantle uh, on Easter Sunday, four forty Easter Sunday afternoon, and the Crows they will be taking on as he scrolls desperately. Richmond. Richmond on Saturday afternoon, that one at Adelaide Oval. So uh, that'll be interesting given the Tigers' much improved form this weekend as well. Okay, that was the first game on Sunday down the west end of the CBD and down the other end, or Jolamont if you want to get technical, uh, a little bit later on, there was another game. At the MCG, we saw Hawthorne taking on St Kilda. And, uh, wow, this was a one-sided game uh, in anyone's language. A crushing win to the Saints. Uh, final scores, 22-10, 142. Smashing the Hawks, 10-13-73. The goal kickers, well, four guys for the Saints, each kicking four. Gresham, Membry, King and Hill. Four each of four in a slight adaptation of Peter Landy, uh, who would also then say Butler, two, Ryder, two each of two, uh, singles the rest. And for, uh, I'm starting to be stupid now, stop it. Uh, Hawthorne, Starting. three, uh, very funny. <laughs> Hawthorne, three to Lewis, three to Bruce, two, two more singles the rest. Well, the tone was set pretty early. Well, actually, it wasn't because Dylan Moore kicked the first two goals in about two minutes of Hawthorne, but that was about it. It was uh, six goals to one for the rest of that first quarter. Saints slammed on another six. 12-3 by halftime. They led by six goals at halftime and uh, another seven in the last quarter for good measure. So an absolute smashing. Interestingly, and part of the reason I tip the Saints They've done this to Hawthorne a few times of late. In fact, that was their fifth win from the last seven meetings against the Hawks after a long runabouts prior to that. But among those victories, they've had a 75-point win and last year at Docklands, a 69-point win. So uh, I reckon Brett Ratton's uh, intricate knowledge of Hawthorne players and and, uh, their philosophy and game style uh, albeit under uh, he was um, privy to that under a different coach, but he does know a lot about the Hawks. And you look at these recent results and think that that's probably a factor. And look, hats off to the Saints. I think uh, a lot of us thought they might struggle again, and particularly so after that first game of the season against Collingwood, where uh, apart from a late comeback, they really didn't seem to have much going for them at all. And since then, they have been outstanding, and there's been a, a few reasons for that. Jade Gresham, chief among them. Gee, he's a really, really good player, and I think people might have underestimated the um, the difference that his absence made. Of course, 
Skipper Jack Steele, we know how good he's been. Sinclair's been good for him for a while now. The other, I wouldn't say unsung, but not necessarily getting the kudos he deserves, um, is Brad Crouch. He's been a terrific pickup for him. They've been slammed for some of their pickups, but he shouldn't be in that category. Uh, been a terrific get for them. And some of the other contributors, guys we've we've known for a while, Ross, Webster, uh, Membry, Brad Hill, of course, another real barometer for them. And uh, he was a great player for them, of course, bobbing up with four goals as well. So, look, the Hawks, um, they're going to have their days like this. Uh, I think I've said a few times already this season, I think Hawthorne will be better this year than some people are anticipating. But they still are, by and large, a reasonably young team. And they are going to get these occasions where they're up against an opponent that matches up particularly well against them, gets hold of them and teaches them a lesson. Um, and they certainly got caught, uh, taught one today, Ronnie. Indeed. And, um, geez, who, who would have seen this coming when um, St Kilda were trudging off Marvel Stadium in round one against Collingwood? Uh, th- th- they would have not only turned their season around like this, but in such exhilarating fashion. I mean, they've backed up an incredible performance against Richmond with yet another exhilarating performance, this time a bit more, a bit more convincing. And a real, a real shout out to the Saints because they are missing some really key players. Uh, Jack Billings, Nick Caulfield, you know, Hunter Clark, Jaron Geary, uh, Zach Jones still missing. Jack Higgins was, con- was out with concussion. And uh, yeah, if you want to throw in Dan Hanbury as well, you can. Um, but they have just powered on and uh, almost un- un- um, unaffected. You know, Jack Sinclair continues to have a sensational year. Jack Steele keeps going from strength to strength. And, it's really, um, it's just great to see from, from, their, from their perspective. They must be absolutely wrapped with what, what they're getting out of these players who have really, really stood up in their absence. And I think an, another, um, another thing that helped them today was, you know, Paddy, the, the, the tandem of Paddy Ryder and, and Rowan Marshall up against uh, Ned Reeves. Now, I know Ned Reeves kicked a goal, um, had 10 touches, but, you know, Paddy Ryder kicked a couple and, um, you know, it was, uh, was pretty good himself. The only, the only downside for the Saints out of this is that um, Ryder will probably come under match review scrutiny for his um, late bump uh, on uh, on Will Day, which left Day concussed. Um, yeah. Yeah, well, it's, um, I've seen, I've, I saw it as it happened and uh, I've seen a few replays of it. And unfortunately, it's one of those ones where, you know, on, on the scale of offences, it's pretty low, I reckon. However... We all know that they put so much stock in um, consequences now as opposed to intent. And mm. unfortunately, Day was concussed and uh, substituted out of the game. So I think that'll probably cost Paddy a week because, you know, on the, on the scale of lateness, um, I think it was pretty low. You know, it, was, it certainly wasn't malicious. He, he put his arm out straight away as if to say, oh, you know, sorry, mate. I, I don't think there was a lot of malice about it at all, really. Um, but again, as I say, you are responsible for the contact you make to an opponent. It was late. Um, I mean, it's one of those ones where you could almost argue he would have had to sort of throw himself to the side to avoid making contact, in which case he'd be roundly pilloried by an army of, uh, uh, you know, former player special comment people for shirking the issue. So you, you, you can't win, really. But mm. um, I think... Yeah, look, he's probably he's probably going to get one. I would have thought at the least for that, and uh, that's just the way the judiciary 
operates these days. But uh, look, great signs for the Saints. Um, and given, yeah, given how they've looked after round one, um, where they are now, I think uh, certainly been a bit of a surprise in the last few weeks. Yeah, um, and just with right, it's pro- it's probably a bit easier to swallow a one week suspension given that they will have to miss a week because he's entering concussion protocols at the minimum. So it kind of makes it a bit easier to. But fundamentally, I do I do agree that um, it should be more the actual action rather than rather than the outcome. Uh, indeed. So. All right. Uh, where does that leave either side on the ladder? The Saints sitting proudly in fourth spot at three and one. Now they are one of five teams with a three-one record, and the Hawks—they're going all right. They're, they are out of the top eight only on percentage uh, in eleventh spot at two and two. Can I just ask you one thing, Roko, before we go to the next game? Max King. Yeah. Where do you think he'll be? at the end of the season in terms of uh, ranking amongst key forwards, not just young key forwards, key forwards in the game. Oh, look pretty high if he keeps it up. I mean, he's got, a, <laughs> he's got an incredible capacity for a burst or three, hasn't he? I mean, he's done it again. I think uh, four goals and three of them came in the last quarter today. He just seems to, uh, you know, when he it takes a grab or two, he gets a, a burst of confidence and manages to pile on the goal. So no, look, he's, he's looking better and better and, uh, it won't surprise anyone who watched his junior career or all those that talked about him uh, in the lead up to when he was drafted. He and his brother both really, really highly rated draft prospects. So, um, you know, in some ways it's been a slow burn, but um, he has really come good big time. Uh, you know, he did start doing that last year, I think, but uh, really dangerous so far this season. And he and Membry up there together, um, certainly pretty dangerous forward tandem. So one for other sides to be aware of. What's on the agenda for these two over the Easter round? Well, the Saints uh, have a home clash against Gold Coast. So uh, that's no, not necessarily the pushover it might have seen, but the Saints will certainly start that game favourite. And the Hawks, well, it's that big traditional Easter Monday clash against the Cats on Easter Monday, April the 18th at 3.20pm Hawthorne to take on Geelong. That should be a terrific clash indeed. One game left in round four, and that one was up on the Gold Coast. Final game of round four was at Metricon Stadium between Gold Coast and Carlton. On the face of it, uh, you'd think Carlton... Um, fairly warm favourite to win this one, but Blues fans all know that uh, something about the Gold Coast, which uh, has spelt problems in the past, uh, to wit, probably cost Brett Ratton his job when they lost to the Suns up there in 2012. Uh, Gold Coast possibly cost David Teague his job last year when they beat the Blues at Docklands. And uh, as Ronnie Werner very astutely points out, a Gold Coast-based Brisbane uh, cost Robert Walls the cult coaching job <laughs> all the way back in 1989 when uh, Warwick Kappa kicked that goal from the 50-metre arc, which was really about fun. Yeah, it's good stuff. Oh, you pinched my line there. <laughs> and we're going to say, all right, that's good stuff. Uh, anyway, uh, so a potential banana skin game, and thus it proved because Gold Coast won this well by 30 points. The final scores, 13-14 Gold Coast, 92 defeating the Blues 8-14-62. That leaves the Suns with a 2-2 win-loss record 
And uh, I'm saying that deliberately because I've had this block in my head for some reason. I keep saying that Gold Coast will win West when in fact they beat West Coast in round one. So apologies to those hordes of Suns fans <laughs> out there pulling me up on that one. I've put that mistake right. And Carlton's first defeat of the season. Uh, one of those days for the Blues, of course, a key event for them was losing Patrick Cripps to a hamstring injury before half time. But um, can't blame that for the loss. Gold Coast were terrific, in particular, their ball winners. Noah Anderson, 35 disposals and 10 clearances. Took Miller, 32 disposals, eight clearances. They were stars for the Suns. Up forward, Mabby Orchol, a real tower of strength for Gold Coast with three goals. And Malcolm Roses kicked three. He's impressive. I like some of these Gold Coast guys. I like young Davies a lot as well. Levi Casbolt chipped in with one against his old side. In fact, I haven't given you the goal kickers. Let's do that. Chol three, Roses three, two to Corbett. Another good uh, marking target for them. For the Blues, the only multiple goal kicker, Harry Mackay, who kicked two. But like I said, losing Cripps didn't help. Uh, Suns midfield on fire didn't help. Um, the Blues were certainly prolific coming out of defence. Zach Williams racked up 36 disposals. Sam Doherty, 29. But uh, this was uh, good stuff by the Suns. <laughs> <laughs> really, it's stuck in my head now. Um, they have got some talent. And so when we see insipid performances like last week's delivered by them um, against GWS, you think, what's going on here? Well, uh, Stewie Dew got tough at the selection table. I think four unforced changes. And uh, it paid off. They were much harder at it today. They played some really good football and thoroughly deserved this 30-point win, Ronnie. Now, do you think the Blues were believing their own hype a little bit around this one, Rocco? How do you sort of judge it? Oh, look, you never do that consciously. But I, I think this is... Look, this is always... Gold Coast on the Gold Coast is always a tough game. And, and mm. I've been having this conversation with a few people recently. I mean, the weather conditions make it tough. It's a different climate. You know, it gets dewy and slippery, uh, particularly in, in the twilight. Um, the home ground advantage counts for a bit. I don't know if the travel factor is, is greater for some reason. I'm not sure why it would be, but it's a tough game. Even sides that are, you don't often see sides absolutely smash the suns at Metricon Stadium. Um, so it always had an element of danger about it. But, uh, look, I think it'll be tempting to look at that and think maybe a few guys got ahead of themselves. Well, it's certainly a wake-up call uh, they probably need. Inaccuracy again. And how often has that been a factor this season? Didn't help. Eight goals, 14 versus 13, 14. Mm. It's going to be really interesting to see now how the Blues do um, go without their, skip, uh, their skipper for a while. I, I, I always... I was, I was quite impressed with Carlton's first three weeks, but there were definitely, within those wins, there were signs that it wasn't, well, far from the, com the complete package. Uh, that there were signs where they, they looked a little shaky. And I, I did think to myself, you know, they're probably just one Crips injury away from being really, uh, really tested. And now we find ourselves in this situation pretty early in the season. Don't get me wrong. Their midfield is vastly improved. Don't get me wrong. They, you know, they, there's no doubt about that. You know, they've had some good pickups in that department with Chera and Hewitt, and you know, Candy has come on pretty well in the first month. Um, but this is a it's a it's a big test for them. It's a big test for them to see how they go without Cripps now, who was in 
Brownlow form. Like I reckon he was almost leading the Brownlow heading into the, into this game. So he was in career best form almost. So you know the challenge is there now for them, and as it is, the challenge there for the Gold Coast because you know as good as as impressive as this performance was, you just you, you tend to fear that they got this performance because of you know a very short term um, uh, response to how badly they played against GWS. They've got to put in more sustainable performances. That's the challenge for the Gold Coast. Don't you know? It's all well and good to win a game after being terrible, but it's you know you need you need to be you need to have more stimulus to you know um, uh, motivate yourself to win the game. It has to be a habit thing. It has to be a second nature thing. It can't just be a reactionary thing, as what happened last week. That's the so both these clubs have challenges now uh, beyond this game. Yeah, no, they're really good points you make there. Um particularly about the Gold Coast, because they just do this too often, don't they? They, they? they really need to to back this up for several weeks, you know, not just have it as a response to an insipid performance. I think the challenge for Carlton, um, as much as anything, it's a good test of their midfield, I reckon. Well, I mean, we'll see how long Cripps is out for, but we've talked about their, you know, their deeper midfield. Well, good test for it because they lost him today and they got pants midfield, let's be honest. Um mm. You know, Kennedy, a quieter one today. Uh, Chera, uh, quiet. You know, Hewitt, uh, good for them. Um, but they're going to need all hands on deck having lost Patrick Cripps. So I, I guess reminder that, you know, you can have plenty of depth, but um, you're only ever, you know, a couple of key injuries away from having your output across the board significantly reduced. So uh, certainly a challenge for the Blues next week as well. And who have they got in round five? Well, they have got the winless Port Adelaide at the MCG, that one at 1.40 p.m. on Easter Sunday. As for the Suns, can they back it up? Well, they're playing an informed side away from home, playing the Saints at Marvel Stadium, 1.45 p.m. Easter Saturday. So uh, let's see what account they can give them themselves. Unfortunately, we won't see the King brothers up against each other. Ben King out for the season after that knee Rico, unfortunately for the Suns, but Max King, of course, will be in action. And uh, Carlton now, they slip to three and one, still in the top eight in seventh spot. Gold Coast only two spots behind them, though, just outside the eight at two and two. And that, my friends was round four in its entirety, plus the AFLW grand final. Congratulations once again to the Adelaide Football Club Women's Program uh, premiers for a third time. Uh, That is it for our little podcast. Uh, As always, proudly brought to you by Palmerbet. Get tackle-busting benefits this AFL season with Palmerbet. Thanks for your company. Uh, thanks for your participation over these last couple of podcasts. Guest co-host Ronnie Luna, have you enjoyed the experience? It's been an absolute thrill. It's been a privilege. It's been a delight. So I just uh, thank you for uh, you know bringing me in for a couple of episodes, and I'm gladly going to hand over the reins back to Robert Shaw. Um, from next week so uh, I, I have i have heard some complaints we didn't make nearly enough trailer park boys jokes but no. uh, in order to address that i'm going to give you right now a couple of homemade you know what <laughs> <laughs> and so and, and it must be a special occasion if that's the case <laughs> or alternately you could make like a tree and uh, off <laughs> <laughs>
and if you don't know what we're talking about, check out Trailer Park Boys, a uh, slightly off the wall Canadian uh, comedy, uh, very well worth viewing. Uh, you can support our podcast at the supporter page, thanks to Acast, wherever you listen to your podcast on whatever platform I mean. Or better still, become a Footyology patron at one of the many links provided on the Footyology website. Go there now and indeed you will see a wrap-up of all this weekend's action in the wrap. Thanks to Shane Hope, we've got a full uh, match report on the Women's Grand Final. Thanks to Gil Griffin, lots of other great reading, not just football, not just sport. We do politics, we do music, we do movies, we do entertainment, you name it. We do it. It's a lifestyle and sport uh, website, and we are fiercely independent. No agendas. We are not compromised by anyone. We take no prisoners, and we take no crap. How's that for a little unsolicited rant? So enjoy it, get on it, and subscribe so we can stay in business. Thanks to your company again on the Footyology podcast. Robert Shaw will return midweek for our round five preview. We'll see you then. We'll see you then.